Blog Talk Radio. Because there are a lot of parallels 
and I just think that it's important that we recognize some of this, understand it, and there are some things that need to be corrected before it gets out of hand. And if we're recognizing it now, we have a better chance of being able to get it under control and point it out to people. And so we'll talk about, um, you know, a little bit about absolute power, um, you know, total power, and, you know, language and other concepts there as we go on. So I just think it's important that I put it somewhat in context, and we'll go over a little bit what we talked about last week. So for those that didn't get a chance to listen to the show, go back and take a listen. It was a really good show. I had a really good time. We defined some terminology, and this is going in a particular order for a reason. Next week will be part three, and we'll be talking about um, – politics of the God concept yet again, but we'll be talking about some specificity. So, you know, just tune in. It should be a really good show, too. And I think I'm going to end the series next week. I just wanted to hit on a few topics and go into that. But before we start, you know, with our topic of the day, I wanted to acknowledge that this is the 50th anniversary of the Birmingham bombing. And, again, um, the Alabama church bombing, you know, they were awarded posthumously the Congressional Gold Medals. And I'm going to read the young ladies' names out because it's just respectful. The four young ladies that were killed in that bombing by the Ku Klux Klan were Denise McNair. She was 11 years of age. Carol Robertson, she was 14 years of age. Addie Mae Collins, she was 14 years of age. And Cynthia Wesley, who was also 14 years of age. And they were killed in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, September 15, 1963. And it's important that we recognize and understand the past so that we can have a better understanding of what's happening now and, you know, how some of this is tethered. And it was interesting today I was listening to Melissa Harris Perry. You know, of course, we all know that I love that show. I got Travis on with me right now. Hey, Travis. But, um, you know, let's talk about I love Melissa, Melissa Harris Perry, too. Yes, love her. And she was talking about, you know, the, the bombings and all of that, and, she was talking about domestic terrorism, and we actually did a show on domestic terrorism. If you go through the archive, you all will be able to find that show. And when I was talking about that show, I was talking about Rosewood and Tulsa, and now today I posted a link about the Wilmington um, race riot. And with that particular race riot in Wilmington, that was the only coup d'etat that ever happened on American soil. So what happened was the racist Democratic um, leaders in that country basically overthrew the government, you know, the local government, and they took over. But during that time, Wilmington was two-thirds majority black and middle class and doing fairly well. And by the time they finished killing and, you know, basically mobbing that town, it turned into a majority white town. And this is something that has happened. Um, you know, communities of color have a very vast background um, in this country, and we survived. We survived. So, anyway, getting back to the young ladies, 
um, they're now being honored 50 years later. And, you know, I just think we should take some time out and at least go read something about this situation or um, their um, PBS and Frontline specials. So, you know, if you don't have time to read it, maybe you can watch the videos. Plenty of information out there on YouTube. But, you know, find out on the history of this, um, who was convicted, how long it took them to convict, you know, these particular gentlemen because um, Thomas Blanton and Bobby Frank Cherry, the two Klansmen, they were convicted in 2001 and 2002. They had already lived their lives. They had a chance to live their lives, and then they were convicted when they were older. And personally, I don't see any fairness in that because of those young ladies, their lives were taken in their prime. So I just think it's important that you all get out there um, and find out and do some research on your own. So I just wanted to, you know, pay some respect to the young ladies who lost their lives and their families today. And, you know, this, you know, had a very profound effect on the community. And, you know, as we're, you know, talking about Melissa Harris Perry, you know, they talked about this particular incident and how it was in all the newspapers for a week and on the, you know, news shows and how it was the focus. And nowadays, you know, if we have a tragedy you know, it may be on for 10, 15 minutes, and then it moves on to another story. And it was a gentleman on Melissa's show today, and he said, yeah, people have realized that if they just lay back and wait it out, it'll get smoothed over. And that's exactly... Or something bigger will pop up in the news, right? Something bigger will happen. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever any, uh, whatever was going on, like the last few weeks of any kind of horror or... Um, you know, shifty characters, it, it can get wiped out by the um, the the war talk with Syria, with, with Syria. Exactly. Exactly. Poof, gone. Exactly. Whatever's going on, then uh, and if that don't happen, uh, Zimmerman jaywalk somewhere in Mississippi, and that'll be the top story uh, for a couple of days, right? Or the next big fight, or the new football season, or somebody mm-hmm. cheated in the game. Uh, a football player killed somebody. Somebody got caught cheating on their uh, on their on their mate. Um, any one of those things, if the person is, more, is popular enough, it can um, shut everything down. You know, and everybody's talking about just that. Um, exactly. Yeah, you know, it could I've be said the in the past, finale of one of these shows. Said, oh yeah, you know, I've said in the past that Americans have the attention span of a gnat. You know, yes, I mean, I, I don't know how you don't bring up um, the gang issue in Chicago for the whole episode, every episode. You know what I'm saying? It just it, <laughs> that's what that's where it would come to, right? Uh, you know, yes, uh, exactly. I can hear you going, "Well, I I know y'all might not know, but this place is like Chirac around here." You know what I mean? Uh, I just don't. I don't see how um, I don't see how any woman who ever heard mm-hmm. about Women in other countries uh, getting their female genital mutilation. I don't see how you wouldn't be bringing that up every time. I don't know if y'all know, but they cutting clits off out there. You know, this is wrong. I mean, I don't see how anybody, <laughs> would, once you heard it once, how it wouldn't pop up in your head. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Uh, exactly. 
Exactly, exactly. Just stick, you know, find a subject and stick with it, right? So yeah, no, the and, whole but, thing. But, right, but then you would be stick with one issue because everything's slow. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So it's just, it's just wild, you know, and you know how all of this is set up, and you know, with the advent of the internet, especially, you know, most of us are on Twitter and Facebook, and those conversations move fast. Those conversations move fast. That news feed and that Twitter feed, fast. You have to keep up. And, you know, what's interesting is many of us can keep up with two, three, four conversations. How we do it, I don't know. I take it all the way back to my AOL days, but I don't want to tell on myself, so that's something different. But, you know, yeah, um, <laughs> Arsenio mentioned AOL a couple times this week for his jokes. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about politics. The topic is what today? Yeah, Politics of the God Concept, Part 2. So Part 2 of what we were talking about last week. But I just wanted to hit on a couple of more stories before we move on. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, I posted an article earlier this week talking about how Monday, the word Monday, became a racial slur. We have Deborah on the line with us, too. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning. um, How y'all doing this morning? Good. Good How are you? Oh, just wonderful. Okay. Go ahead, honey. I'm in, I'm there you go. What you're talking about. Yes, ma'am. So, you know, the word Monday became a racial slur, and I posted this. And basically, oh. you know, it says here, and yeah, an off-duty officer, police officer, recently called a major league baseball player a Monday, and as a result, lost his job. So, basically, the Monday word has has become a slang for the N word. And basically, a comedian, um, Russell Peters, and basically he says, he put Monday on the map. He said, in January 2008, stand-up routine for Deaf Comedy Jam, Peter tells of a Bostonian referring to blacks as Mondays and giving the same bigoted clarification that nobody likes Mondays. And people are... Yeah, white people are getting clever, very clever with their oh, racism. That's right. rough, Kim. Uh, this week on um, W. Kamal Bell's show, Totally Bias, they were talking mm-hmm. about um, how people say that crackers equal to to to, uh, to the N word. I was trying to decide whether right. to say it or not, and uh, <laughs> and and they said, and no, it ain't. And so they wanted to find a, a new word. Right, mm-hmm. that would you know mm-hmm. have a little a little a little uh, race a, a, a little race thing in it. You know what I mean? That there's a little know right. how it feels. And yeah. they came with a whole bunch, but what they settled on was snow monkeys. Oh no, <laughs> that's wow. mean. That is not nice. That is not nice. <laughs> not even not even remotely But the whole nice. point was the whole point. Then they had of uh, they had a uh, an American um, uh, Indian woman. And she said, how about native rapers? Oh, oh no. Yeah. No. But the whole point is, if you want to hit people with, with N-bombs, well, you need a bomb. And just so you can see right. how it feels. Because cracker ain't strong enough. It ain't it, it, it no juice. Nobody ain't worried about right. that. And they really broke down where cracker came from. Cracker came from, cracker really meant braggart, somebody who brags. So, actually, well, Muhammad Ali there's, was a there's cracker. There's also another death. But there's also another definition to the word cracker. It was when the wolf And they knocked the that out, too. They, 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 yeah. they knocked that out as false. They knocked that out as false. Yeah. And Chris Rock basically okay. said, he said, uh, 
He said, nigga is a word that white people call black people to make them feel bad. Cracker is a word that black people use to make themselves feel good about some shit exactly. that white people just did to the ass. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the book cracked, you know, the, the book cracked on their backs, and, of course, it made the white people feel good because, that's you know, the black people will call them crackers because that's the one they use the word to crack across their back. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. What happened to you? Yes. The cracker got me. Yeah, you're <laughs> too awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's just it's it's, it's interesting. This racism you know, is killing me. Exactly, exactly. I saw you um, you reposted something that I had posted online. I had posted this actually got very popular. It got um, reposted on or reblogged on Twitter from me like maybe a hundred times. But it was a study that suggested that Southern slavery turns white people into Republicans 115 years later. And this goes back to something that I stated in private conversations. I don't believe I've ever stated it publicly, but, I mean, it really doesn't matter. But I feel that a lot of the white resentment and a lot of the white racism that we're dealing with now is because there are quite a few racist whites, not the allies, not not the abolitionists, not the people that marched alongside us, but I'm talking about the other ones, they're still angry about slavery being ended. I think they're angry and, about their family members being killed in the Civil War. Like I heard there was like, uh, I forgot what school it was, maybe Alabama, and they're explaining why the University of Alabama didn't let black people in, 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 in the school until 1973, and that's because that school, the uh, like like uh, like 400 dudes became some regiment in the Civil War, mm-hmm. and all of them but four got killed, and so right. that 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 area would be bitter as hell for a long time. How many generations will it take to know that everybody from the school was killed, about four exactly. People? Exactly. Well, that's, exactly. What, well, that's you know, what you get trying to keep slavery going, you stupid ass. You know what I'm saying? It's just <laughs> dumb. Because, I mean, seriously, it's the same situation. The people who owned the slaves weren't the one in the field defending slavery. It was the poor white people who couldn't get a job in the first place because the rich white dudes would rather have slaves than pay their ass. Exactly. Exactly, exactly, and that's part of it, and then, you know, and it's the whole thing, it's just, it's horrible. It's a horrible history, we need to go back and read it and understand it, but this country, we need a conversation about race, because not all white people are bad people, not all black people are bad people, you know, not all, you know, people of color are bad people, you know, so I'm just saying people of color to encompass a lot of different ethnicities, races, and nationalities that, you know, are now part of this country, and it's important. Yeah, my father told me like this. He said, if you're sitting around thinking that everybody white is bad and everybody black is good, you're going to miss out on some friends and somebody That's black right. might clunk your ass in the head. That's the truth. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's just as important to start appreciating people as who they are. And, you know, not clumping everybody together because that's unfair. You know, we shouldn't be walking around making these broad invectives and blanket statements and generalities about entire groups of people. That's unfair on so many different levels. So 
you know, we're learning, we're learning, but, yeah, I put that study out there. You all should be able to find it on my page. Um, you know, I'll go ahead and put it in the chat room for those who are interested in seeing it. But, yeah, yeah, you know, some interesting things happening this week. I would be remiss if I did not speak about what happened with one of our hip-hop icons this week and um, how – his life and his lifestyle was exposed. And I'm talking about Mr. C from New York. And this is not the first time that he's been in a precarious situation there. Um, this is like the third time he's been in a situation with a transgendered person. And the first two times he, you know, somewhat denied it. But this third time he was on tape. They recorded him. And they exposed it, you know, some real messy shit. And they exposed it. And Mr. Seagull's way back. I mean, you know, he was responsible for launching the careers of, like, Big Daddy Kane and Notorious B.I.G. And he's done, he's written a lot of songs, produced a lot of songs, um, you know, African Babada. I mean, all you know, the icons, the icons. And basically, you know, out of, embarrassment on his behalf. He resigned his job, and he's been on that radio station, you know, for over 20 years. You know, he has already taken his place. That's Hot 97 in New York. He's already taken his place in history as one of the legends of hip-hop. And he resigned his position out of shame because, you know, Again, with hip-hop, and we've talked about homophobia in the hip-hop community, not only on my show. I know Vita has covered it on her show, and Brooks has covered it on the breakbeat. And, you know, you all, like I said, go back and listen to those, you know, archives. But in the hip-hop community, what used to be the status quo, if you will, was a very hyper-masculine, homophobic, misogynistic type of world. And it has slowly been evolving. And when basically this recording was, you know, exposed on the Internet, it shamed this man. And Mr. C should not, you know, be shamed for this. If he enjoys the company of, you know, a transgendered individual, he has that right to do so. And so basically he resigned his position, resigned his job, you know, he was running. And basically his boss, um, brought him in to talk about, um, you know, Ebro. He brought him in to have an on-air discussion. And basically, you know, if you all get a chance to go back and listen to that interview, it was very eye-opening. It was very honest, very honest. Mr. C sat there and he cried. He cried repeatedly. And he said, and I'll quote, I'm tired of trying to do something or be something that I am not. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a milestone in the hip-hop community. This is definitely a milestone, not only in the hip-hop community, but the communities of color, you know, because, you know, we have a deep fear of rejection and alienation, mm-hmm. not only from, you know, the homophobia, but the and also what we're dealing with over here in the secular community as well. You know, there are many people in our community that are still in the closet, in the closet atheists or skeptics or free thinkers or what have you, and some still attend church regularly. 
because they fear rejection and alienation. So, you know, um, Laverne Cox and Janet Mock, who are two transgender activists, along with Mark Anthony Neal, who wrote Looking for Leroy, they did a Huffington Post Live conversation about Mr. C's um, alleged scandal, because I don't think it's a scandal. I call it liberation, because now he can be who he is. He can walk with his head up with no shame. And they talked about it. It was very, very good conversation. And, again, um, for those of you who do not know, you know, I believe this year, next year, is going to be, you know, a lot of conversations about the transgender um, gender variant um, community. And it's time for them to become liberated from, you know, the restrictions that have been placed on them. So, again, it's important that we start supporting, you know, our LGBTQ um, members and brothers and sisters out here because it's important. Um, You know, we love them. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure I put that out there so that people will understand um, what's happening there and why this is such an important occasion. And it's important that, you know, we show Mr. C some support and show him some love, not only him but other members in the LGBTQ community, because as quiet as it's kept, um, particularly transgendered or gender-variant people of color are, you know, murdered in record numbers. You know, there was an incident in New York not too long ago in which basically – you know, um, a young woman was killed because, you know, a gentleman was attempting to get to know her. I call it street harassment, but get to know her. And when he found out that, you know, she was trans, you know, he basically assaulted her. And she fell and hit her head, and a a couple of days later she died. And, you know, it's... It's a shame. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that to you guys' attention and why um, it's important that, you know, we go and, you know, get a better understanding. You know, get out of your comfort zone. Get to know somebody different. Get to know somebody different. Try to show some empathy. Try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And, you know, also, yes, dear. Isn't a big reason for all of this is because the anti-gay sermon is a really easy, lazy sermon, and it's easy to label uh, uh, transgender or, or, or gay persons, uh, lesbian, bisexual, or whatever the titles are, as, uh, as a less than, as they're the reason. Right why the community isn't flourishing. Well, and, and so basically it takes the spotlight off the uh, parasitic preachers that are uh, far too um, plentiful. <laughs> not only exactly. That, not only that, it's false teaching. You know, so speak I mean, up a little bit, honey. I can't this. hear you. Okay. I just said it was false teaching. I'm I'm a, I'm a try to keep my can my phone go up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is is that, you know, we we did a show on LGBTQIA and you know, I think we may need what's to the, do a show. Um, what's the IA? 
I is intersex, A is asexual. Oh, okay. Thank you. And um, yeah, you know, because I mean, the Q can be queer or questioning, you know. And I went through the different terminology and how some of them have different meanings or different, you know, um, words attached to it, the language. And again, um, you know, we we need to talk about, you know, this because um, someone, you know, um, Raina's in a chat room and she's saying it is sad that people are acting like Mr. C must be gay when there is no evidence that he is. And this is a conversation that I've seen and that I've had with people, you know, about, you know, the definition of exactly what is gay and who is gay. And, you know, the labeling, you know, and again, we have the role playing and it's something that needs to be addressed. And, you know, you know, I've been to many, many different gay prides and I've gone to, you know, some of the seminars and things because, you know, a lot of people think gay pride is nothing but parades and parties. But, no, they have, you know, panels, they have, you know, conferences, they have, you know, a lot of different avenues in which they discuss um you know, different issues and topics in the community. And I've seen um, and I've been a part of different conversations in which how a person is designated as gay, you know, with the role playing and just a number of different issues. So I think I may ask a couple of people to come on the show um, in about a month or so so we can talk about, you know, sex, gender, role playing, um, labels, all of those different particular issues because, there are a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misunderstandings, and, you know, it definitely needs to be addressed. So You better do it late night. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to do a late night show, and the first time I had to cancel it. The second time I got cut off because VTR was acting up, and I figured, okay, I must not need to do this show. But anyway, that's, that's a whole different story. Oh, that sounds like but, a superstition yeah. thinking. Don't do that. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's just that it was, you know, uh, it was more extenuating circumstances beyond that. But um, it, it's, it was just interesting. Um, you know, I'm going to go into the topic in a few minutes, but I wanted to talk about this one article that I posted. And it actually, to me, it was a very, very good article. And a young lady by the name of Maisha Cherry who's an adjunct philosophy professor at CUNY, you know, city of, well, city, well, she's in New York, you know, um, colleges and universities. And basically, she did 10 thoughts on Tyler Perry, Bishop Jakes, evangelicals, and money. And it was quite good, especially coming from a religious person, you know, it was a very well-written article. And she went through 10, you know, different scenarios, um, regarding, you know, the church and its relationship, you know, to, you know, uh, the communities. And basically, I'm just going to talk about number 10. And she said, I predict the culture of church will be the death of the church until the church gets more focused on the teachings of Jesus and less focused on a manipulative concept of success, emotionalism, and dogmatism. It will always look like foolishness to outsiders and feel only like church to insiders. That's a mouthful coming from a religious person. I mean, we've talked about this and we've stated this 
on several different occasions. However, you know, it seems as though there is some type of evolution happening in the church, and we're seeing more and more religious people speak out about the antics and, you know, of the church. And so I just think it's important that we acknowledge Kim, it when... Yes, what it sir. is is it's falling apart. It's falling apart. We all got Internet, we got TVs, we got uh, uh, the the picture of Tyler Perry laying hands on T.D. Jakes and the video of him speaking in tongues, uh, right. you know, whatever that means, which don't get me started. I think, if I'm not, I think that speaking in tongues actually came from when somebody was passing a collection plate and they ran out of stuff to say, they just started going, blah, 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 with ding dong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that's too funny. Or, well, anyway, I was getting ready to make a really bad joke, but I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> but I'm um, being real. Yeah, I'm being real, so it's a trick. Yeah. And so basically, yeah. when I saw that picture, of Tyler Perry uh, doing doing the laying hands on T.D. Jakes and, and T.D. Jakes falling back, my thought was, who do they think is believing that? And I feel sorry for those folks. You know what I mean? Right. Because if somebody only does that in front of people they think it's going to work on. Right. Exactly, exactly, you know, and, you know, that's the whole thing about people being vulnerable, people being gullible, and there are some people that are just natural followers, and, you know, again, that's why it's important that we emphasize and encourage people to develop and sharpen their critical thinking skills to allow logic to guide them, logic and reason, because, you know, again, you know, I've been in situations in which I have been outright told that logic and reason has no place in church. And I should not use logic and reason when reading the Bible or interpreting the events happening around me, whether it was some nonsense happening in church or some nonsense happening in real life. And I could not live with that in good conscience. And that's why I am not in anybody's church now, and which is why, you know, I expose some of the things that I expose and, you know, talk about some of the things that I talk about because they're taking advantage of people. They're taking advantage of people, and many of those people couldn't read back then. And we have quite a few people now that are running around that are functional illiterate, and it's nothing, it's like there are programs out there to help you. There are programs out there to help you. You know, you just have to ask for help. And there are people out there. And so, you know. One of my siblings. One of my siblings did that to me. Said to me, well, uh, you're just too logical. And I'm like, "Uh, look, you're a pharmacist. You're logical. You just just turn your logic off when you go to church. Mm -hmm. You you don't just willy-nilly stick pills in a bottle. (laughs) You know, you know what I mean? It's. It's um, they'll, mm-hmm. it's sad because when you're stuck and you have been stuck since you were little, it's hard to become unstuck, okay? It, right. it just is. And mm-hmm. that's why I say over and over again, I don't hate the people who are tricked. I hate the trick and the tricksters, okay? And I consider myself an untricker. It's like I consider you an untricker. Right. Right, you know, trying to expose the capacity. And uh, Mario, you're on the line with us here. And it's just, you know, the whole thing is 
you know, disheartening. And that's the reason why we're getting ready to go into our topic. You know, um, we're talking about the politics of the God concept because there are some people out there that benefit from people not knowing and not understanding what's happening around them and how religion and the God concept is used as a weapon against them. And, you know, what I put on um, my Facebook when I had posted about this show today, and I basically said I wanted to continue this discussion. And the main question, one of the main questions I asked last week, and I'm going to ask it again this week, is atheism a cause for hope for communities of color? And I am so serious when I ask that question because, again, You know, the point of reference for, you know, these discussions here is Michael Lackey's book, African-American Atheists and Political Liberation, and this is a study of the sociocultural dynamics of faith, and then also reference points also to Dallas Americana and Moral Combat by Dr. Hutchinson. first book is written by Michael Lackey. And, you know, it's extremely important, but anyway, I said here, are the established civil rights leaders holding back progress in communities of color? Is this being done to preserve their status and power, or do they truly believe that they are helping, or are they stuck in a rut and too prideful to step to the side and allow younger, more progressive innovators to implement more productive solutions? Now, well, um, well, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, okay. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I think that um, in everything, you got people who know and people who don't know. And Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of it, a lot of preachers out here has been misinformed. Like, you know, when I asked you the other week about the seminary, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they ain't been taught right, period. And, And because... Uh, this is a, I think, I'm sorry to say, this is a white thing. Uh, they don't even go and and, and look further. Uh, people are scared to go outside the Bible. For some right. Yeah, but that's because, that's because that's what they've been taught, you know, throughout the generations that all of the answers come from that one book, you know, um, yeah. that the stories of the Bible are a God. And, you know, people think, You know, I'm being facetious when I say this, but I'm not. But, you know, a lot of the issues that we're seeing, you know, as far as, like, pedophilia and incest and murder and all of that, if the Bible is a guide, then the people are emulating what they're reading because the Bible is Right, and slavery and everything else and misogyny. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. But what I would suggest to to the people who think that the Bible has all the answers is this. How come... The only book you need is the first book they let you read. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I find, exactly. I find you know, uh, back to um, what you were saying about, you know, why they won't let progress, more progressive people in. It's like kind of like what Walmart does. Walmart comes in and pretty much squeezes out everybody else around it, so it, it doesn't have much competition. Everybody's coming to them. They're making nothing but profit. So if you you got somebody here who's, you got somebody here who's who's used to he's big, like Creflo Dollar, and he's getting all these people to come to them, and he's squeezing out everybody else. There's nobody nobody else wants to hear anyone else's message because you know it's not only the social conditioning you got going here where everybody else going, 
why don't I go and everything. But you also got this thing in which people, it becomes almost a pressure thing. And then they're the only one in the That's area, right. you know, and it's, it's so many concepts going on with that. And, um, I mean, nobody, I mean, it seemed like to me, you know, um, that no one really wants to take the chance that maybe there's something else out there. But at the same exactly. time, when I look at atheism and how can it solve issues in the black community, it's like we're so we're so we're so social in churches. Church is so 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 social in mm-hmm. the Elma Fudd thing going on that <laughs> <laughs> that uh, uh, if we just say okay, no more religion. What else do we have to, to include in that? You're just not going, not no religion. We now have to build under up the title of atheism. That is all you got. That's all you got yeah. under the title. Now, under the title, under the title of free thinker, there that that, that encompasses a whole bunch of things. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, yeah. you can you know you can maybe uh, you know include some of the all time great black persons as free thinkers. And really, if you really think about it, Martin is closer to a free thinker than he is to a preacher because Martin is considered the greatest, one of the greatest preachers, and he didn't have a church. Mm-hmm. Right. You know and, what I'm and saying? Exactly. And, yeah. And, 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 and you know, them, the interesting thing, if you, look, if you take it even beyond that, a humanist, with the humanist, there's a tie between, you know, it's like a bridge between the religious and the secular. And, you know, you have these different titles, but, you know, just to kind of go back to something that Mario just said, that goes back to the conversations that we've had in the past on the show. And, again, guys, we have a very vast archive here. And I've talked about in the past about, you know, what do we have to offer as the secular community to the people that, leave religion because some of these churches, not all of them, but some of them actually do help the community, which is why, you know, we had, you know, that little uproar not too long ago with the dusty thing in that video, and we were talking about what the black church means to the black community. Some of them offer, you know, uh, rental assistance, you know, um, some of them offer, and that's usually through a city program, a city or a state grant. And some of them offer the light and heat assistance, but that's through a federal program. Some of them offer the food pantry, and they usually get that from the food depository, but they're local. They're in the community. They can reach out to the community and help, and some of them have clothing drives that help. Some of them have daycares. This is why some of the people who are agnostic, who are atheists, who are free thinkers and humanists, they still attend church because of the services. And this is where I say that we have fallen down in the secular community because, okay, we want you to not believe in God and not go to church. You know, and that's not all of us because I personally, I don't care what you do. It's your life. I just want you to be happy. Um, But what what do we have to offer? And that's why I say we need to build up what we're doing, which is why I always tie in social justice. It's extremely important, especially in communities of color. And for many white communities, if you will, this is not an issue that they've had to deal with per se, but there are some that have because there are quite a few poor white communities that have the same ills or ailments that we have in our communities. So, you know, I want to make sure that's understood too because, you know, you know, everybody, you know, especially if you're on the lower rung of the socioeconomic ladder, you know, there are difficulties. There are difficulties. And and, one of my know, jokes is, if you're poor uh-huh. and white, you're black. If you're poor and white, uh-huh. you're black. 
Simple as that. And you got the exact same problem. Right, right, right. And so that's why, you know, I think it's important because, um, you know, especially when I was talking about the civil rights leaders, and I'm going to tie it into this was the anniversary for the March on Washington. And, you know, it was, it was a very good article that was, I believe, in the Atlantic, and I posted it. But, you know, it was talking about how, and, you know, I agree with this, and I've said this before, even before that article, about how some of the civil rights leaders that are in positions of power, how they oppress and in some situations crush grassroots social activists. And, you know, there's a reason for that because many of them do not want to lose their power and privilege because there is privilege in the black community, even though some people want to argue with that. There are some, you know, some people that do have privilege, you know, and they have the power, they have the privilege, they have the money, and they don't want to lose their status. And there are some you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, with some of these preachers, but, you know, it also goes back to some of the leaders in our community. They just don't know any better. You know, right. some of them did not take time to continue to educate themselves. Right. You know, you and know, they're still stuck in the past, still stuck on a status quo. And life has changed. Life has evolved. And, you know, we need to get them to understand, you know, um, what's happening out here. And, you know, we're going to go a little bit more to the topic, but I wanted to read a quote from Richard Wright from his Black Boy book. And it says, before I had been made to go to church, I had given God's existence a sort of tacit assent. But after having having seen his creatures serve him at first hand, I had had my doubts. I thought that was interesting. Because, you know, at first he gave God the benefit of the doubt, but after, you know, dealing with and meeting church folks, you know, he changed his mind and knew that there, you know, was not enough. But anyway, if you all get a chance to read any of Richard Wright books, you know, read The Outsider, read Black Boy, um, Native Son is also a good book. You know, I read those when I was much younger. I probably need to pick them up and read it again, but, you know, excellent books. But, um you know, another question that I posed last week that's extremely important, I'm going to say it again today, and our telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. And if you would like to speak with us, press 1. Otherwise, I'm going to assume that you don't want to talk to me just yet. But is atheism an act of resistance to the political and power structures? So when I present that, you know, I'm talking about, you know, public policy, the political structures, but I'm also talking about the religious political structure because there's a lot of politics in religion as well. I believe so. so. I believe so. I mean, because a lot of the stuff that I see, um, every now and then I'm seeing someone challenging uh, 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 religious indoctrination in their schools, religious programs. I'm seeing, um, like I see, oftentimes I see American atheists suing somebody because of some type of religious concept, either in um, um, laws or policies or something like that. So I do think that with with a lot of the things that we're coming with, you know, atheism, free thought, and everything, non-religion, we're also bringing an idea that a lot of this stuff that we've been holding on to and are still affecting our lives or religious base, and 
we all don't need to live by laws made by one religion, and that mm-hmm. one religion is deciding the lives of everybody else, even those who do not believe it, believe exactly. the religion that they is making all these laws and stuff. Exactly. It's amazing, you know, because you know, and a lot of this stuff, a lot of this stuff goes back to the fear that this is the only thing we have. This is the only thing we can do. There's no. This is the only answer that's allowable. This is the only explanation that we can accept that this is what it is. And you, you and these people will not let go of a lot of these things, no matter what you do. Right, right, right. And I understand exactly where you're coming from. And so I've got to tie it in. Last week, you know, we talked about he was human, who was subhuman, who was inferior, and that's why these shows are kind of tethered together. But, you know, I defined those last week and gave some examples. But, you know, going back to, you know, what we're talking about here with the God concept, you know, does it intellectually and politically disable cultures that have been designated inferior? Right. Right, you know, and you you got to be willing to you got to be willing to you know you can't just be willing we can't just be willing to criticize religion. We got to also be willing to challenge everything that about it that is affecting all of us. You know, exactly. to right. me, a lot of the things that we're, we're challenging, like like I'm looking at that that video with Tyler Perry and T.D. Jakes, and I'm saying to myself, like, well, I just wrote in, in the room and everything. Because he donated about a million dollars, a million dollars somewhere. I'm like, there are thousands of people in this one place, and no one is asking why. If he has the power to heal at will at his fingertips, simply because he believes it was given to him, why does he need to donate money to help anybody else be healed? He can just go to the hospital and touch these people, mm-hmm. or he can exactly. ask a prayer or something like that. You know what I'm saying? If we all. It, if everybody who is religious and truly believed they had the power to heal and that prayer healed anybody, got together and prayed, then there would be no need to have a Susan G. Coleman fund to, to cure cancer. You got the you got the ultimate healing method at the, at your fingertips. Nobody thinks about exactly. that. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, send them to the children's hospital with all these children being born with different ailments, you know, muscular dystrophy amongst others. And why can't they go and just touch and heal them? But what got me about that video, you know, was when he announced that he had donated a million dollars to T.D. Jakes, how everybody in the crowd erupted and, you know, danced and shouts like they were the ones getting a million dollars. Now, Tyler Perry walked up to me and gave me a million dollars. Now, you know, he may give me to cut a rug, but I'm going to use that money for secular. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, maybe they were right. dancing because they thought they didn't have to put none in the collection plate that week. <laughs> All right. You don't need my. You don't need. You don't need my twenty dollars. You don't need my. Because <laughs> that's what I would say. I mean, you just got a million dollars. You don't need none for me for a while. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Look. Um, by the way, I'll go back to your uh, point a couple seconds ago. Uh, Ingersoll said, "Prayer." Is not medicine, Robert Greenacre. <laughs> exactly, and you know it's not a medicine. But you know, again, like I said, with the God concept, you know, it it intellectually and politically disable, you know, what they consider as culturally inferiors, and you know. You know, what I'm paralleling in a lot of ways, you know, last week and this week is how some of these same arguments have been used with race that they're using with religion, and it's kind of tied together, you know, theology and colonialism. 
and that's, you know, what I'm trying to get people to see and to understand. And basically, if we were just hypothetically able to kill the God concept, now we will never abolish religion. And the people that think that you may as well get that out of your head, there will always be people around believing in something or the other. It's just going to be renamed something else. Like we have Christianity now, you know, and, you know, they believe in God and Jesus. They believed in Mithras. They believed in Osiris. They believed in all of these different gods. It's the same thing just regurgitated and told a different way. And if you go back and you parallel, you'll see, though, that there are a lot of similarities and so, you know, just going back, but, you know, in order to move forward intellectually and psychologically, you know, we're going to have to move beyond God concept. You know, that's, and we're just going to have to do it. And that's a hard road. And basically, you know, what we're trying to do is self-create, you know, trying to self-create ourselves. And... That's that's hard to do, and the one way to do that would be to just walk away from that particular concept because you have people out here that are reducing others to the roles of animals and things. So, and that's because they feel that they have the, you know, the truth or the superiority to designate someone as human or designate someone as subhuman or inferior. And in many cases, they feel that they have that, quote, unquote, divine or God-given right. And that's one of the reasons why we're trying to dismantle um, this type of thinking, because, again, they feel as though they have this, you know, who is that? Um, oh, I'm sorry, I thought I was on mute. Shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> You want me to put you on mute, I was Travis? biscuits. No, no, I'm oh, myself. I, I, I've been muting myself over and over again. I've been, I've been making breakfast. I got scrambled eggs going. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing down over here. Got my, got, got my lunch grape jelly. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, right now. But you know, you Kim, Kim I think, I think that I don't think we can get rid of the God concept as easy as we can get rid of the idea of a devil and a hell. And if you can get rid of the idea of a devil in a hell and clown it hard, I think that that was that for me is what was the thread that pulled it apart for me. If there ain't no devil, I don't need no savior. So, uh, and basically what I actually, honest, honest goodness, my thought was one day I was sitting by myself and I thought, man, well, if God made everything and God made hell, uh, I don't want to be around nobody making hells. <laughs> they might make hell too, you know, or devil plus. <laughs> so right, right, right. you know that, that's a that's how I did it, you know. Um, and that was and, and I look at um, if you look at Ingersoll's lecture on the devil, it starts off with the question: If the devil should die, would God make another? And I was like, wow, that, that blew my mind. Right, right, right. And now, and I mean, I understand perfectly what you're saying. And what's interesting about that is there are a couple of ministers out here. Um, one particular minister, Carlton Pearson when he said that he stopped believing in hell and in the devil, they, the Christian community turned their backs on him. And, you know, he was a mega pastor. He had a mega church, and he lost everything. And now he's rebuilding, but he's still holding on to the theory that there is no hell. And, you know, and he's slowly building it up. And so... 
it's just the whole thing is interesting. But, yeah, no, I mean, I'm talking about more on an individual level, you know, as, you know, ridding our mindset of the God concept. And, you know, again, there are many people out here that are followers, and there are many people out here that want to tell the truth, but they can't because, again, as we talked about a little bit earlier, about the, you know, uh, being ostracized and being shunned and fear, fear of rejection. And the more and more of us that come out, you know, giving people the bravery to come out and say, you know, that they no longer believe. But, you know, the whole thing, um, you know, with this particular God concept, one thing I've talked about is how the religious community and, and some of our own communities of color seem to be in a state of arrested development, you know, kind of like a perpetual state of flux. And, you know, I put quite a bit of that on that particular God concept, and which is why, you know, I point to it, you know, and, you know, we have to be able to move beyond that, be able to point it out, and be able to do it with some dignity and grace, if you will. And I believe that, you know, with atheism, you know, humanism, free thought, or what have you, that we will be able to liberate, you know, um, communities of color. And, you know, just with, you know, some of the information that we have, being able to move forward, and that's why I was talking about leadership, moving to the side and letting people, you know, with more, that are more progressive, um, more innovative, get in there and try to apply some concepts, some techniques, some innovation, if you will, that's different because we've been doing the same things over and over. And Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. And I feel that, you know, that's, you know, where we are. And basically, you know, where we are now, you know, it's led to a state of pathology in many communities of color. A lot of the behavior that we see is pathological. It's pathological behavior, and we need to address it. You know, we need to address it, and we need to point it out. And that's one of the hardest things about being in this community is pointing out, you know, different behaviors, because I remember many, many years ago, pointing out behaviors that I thought were detrimental and having religious people tell me that I was being judgmental and look at where we are now. And now they want to say something about it, but when we were pointing it out then, we were wrong. So, you know, again, going back to, you know, um, God's concept here, I guess basically... You know, we talked about truth and what is truth, and we talked about the divine truth, you know, what religious people consider as divine truth, that they have this spiritual insight that us heathens do not have. So, you know, they feel as though we can't and should not question what they're saying and what they're doing because, you know, they have a direct line to God, and God is giving them this, you know, truth with a capital T, if you will. So I guess my question to you is, hmm, should truth be at the service of the people? Say that again. Or should it be at the service of the truth? 
<laughs> you know, um, many of them see truth as God-given, like I said. And with that being the case, seeing the truth as God-given, this kind, this when I kind of this gives some people in their mind the authority to justify oppression and to justify a system of oppression, which goes back to what we've talked about in the past about institutionalized racism, um, institutionalized sexism, you know, homophobia, all of that. So, you know, these are things that we need to, you know, work on and bring to the forefront. And we should start tearing away, you know, at the veils or the quote-unquote truth of the God concept. Basically, you know, a lot of things would be exposed. I believe it would expose quite a few things there, and this is the way that but we will be able to move forward. Uh huh. Religious people, religious people don't search for the truth. They think they know the truth. If you think yeah. you, uh, Ingersoll again, he said, uh, if you believe the church to be right, you won't investigate, and if you believe the church to be wrong, the church will investigate you. Exactly. <laughs> who's, That's right. right? Who, who's that? Who, who's he? What's he doing around here? <laughs> right, right, right. And that's the reason why, you know what I'm saying, you know, and I'm talking about on an individual level here, but we remove the God concept and this so-called divine truth, you know, I believe that the real truth will be revealed. And I believe that's what's happened to quite a few of us in this community. We started using deductive reasoning, you know, and researching and studying. The Internet was the best thing to ever happen for us. Yes, it was, yes. Yes. That's, why they, that's why they call it evil. Exactly. Yes. Well, they call, call it evil, but it ain't evil. Basically, no. for us, they don't it want you, They us. don't want you to know and learn. That's what it is. Exactly. Well, every time yeah. there's a, as every time a, uh, someone asks them the uh, the wrong questions to them, uh, they got a chance to lose members. If they lose members, they lose uh, people yeah. filling up the collection yeah. plate. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Oh yeah, that's right. So let's switch it up a little bit. And we're still on a, we're still in basically in the same vein, but I just want to I'm gonna read a part of this book here. And I want you to listen closely because this is very important here. And it says this means that atheism in an early stage of development may not be considered atheism from a latter perspective. That is, from a perspective when the great skeletal outline of atheism has become more clearly defined. In Swan's way, for instance, Marcel Proust, narrator, suggests that many non-theists remain theists by remaining committed to the theist mindset, even though they have rejected God. Even after the death of the gods, the narrator says, when a belief vanishes, there survives it. An idolatrous attachment to the old things which our faith in them did once animate. To be a real atheist, Proust's narrator implies the atheist must renounce not just God, but also the idolatrous attachment to those things which faith once made real. Neske makes a similar point in The Gay Science when he claims that now that God is dead, we still have to vanquish his shadows too. Now, End quote. That's the end of that quote there. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because I've talked quite a bit about behavior 
And I've talked quite a bit about how when some of us leave the church, the church hasn't necessarily left us. We've got a couple of archives about that, and I talk about this consistently when I start paralleling and doing a comparative analysis of the behavior of religious people and some of the behavior of the people in the secular community. Now, um, you know, I think it's important that we understand this, and I'm going to give you all an example. When somebody has an addiction issue and they kick the issue, you know, they're no longer addicted to whatever it may be, drugs, alcohol, sex, et cetera, food, whatever, and basically, you know, they kicked the addiction even though it's a daily process. You know, I understand that. But some people keep the behavior. So let's say someone was, you know, a drug addict and they were a hype. For those of you that don't know what a hype is, basically a hype is someone that, you know, we'll just say when you see someone trying to sell you something on the streets, you know, you know, whether it's ill-gotten or what have you. But, you know, some of them still keep that same behavior in which, you know, they're still hustling. Like they were hustling to get their job, their drugs, but now they're hustling for, you know, just because that's part of their Nature at that time, if you will. So I'm paralleling this on purpose. Some of the behavior that, you know, I've pointed out, and it's even more, you know, I've actually been really nice about this. Um, some of the behavior that we're starting to see in some secularists, some non believers, some free thinkers, whatever, on this side of the equation, it mimics what's happening on the other side of the equation with the religious behavior, and they're bringing it over here. And this is why I think it's important that we point it out and we start admonishing and challenging and criticizing and pointing it out to people. But going back to, you know, this particular paragraph that I read, basically atheism, you've heard me say it, you know, what we're doing here in a free thought secular community is in its infancy. It's in its early stages. Five, ten years from now, you know, we're going to be looking at this a lot differently because we will have matured, not only as a movement, not only as a community, but as individuals. And we'll be like, oh, those are baby steps. I've noticed a difference in me in the past few years since, you know, the inception of this show and where we are now. I noticed the difference in my language. I've noticed the difference in my behavior. I've noticed... um, you know, a lot of differences. So, you know, for those of you that are just new to the community, you will evolve. You will evolve. Continue to read. But, again, um, again, we have to let go of those attachments, you know, and I'll read this one part, you know, to you one more time, and it's talking about the idolatrous attachment to those things which faith once made real. And what I'm talking about there is, Basically, at one point in time, um, when we were of the church and in the church, there were some things that made no logical sense, no rhyme or reason to it, but it was very, very real to us. And some of us still hold on to that, and we're going to have to let it go. As hard as it may seem, it's inevitable. It's inevitable in order to move forward as an individual. We're going to have to eliminate certain things, um, and especially some cultural truths or some cultural attachments, 
you know, we're going to have to evolve beyond that. And if we don't, you know, you're going to remain stuck. And But that's okay because there's still hope and you'll be able to move on from that. But I just thought that was a very important um very important point to make, um, and then kind of ties into, you know, what I was talking about, you know, with language. You know, and for those of us that have pretty much dropped the God concept, um, there's been a shift in our experience. There's been a shift in our language because, again, you know, uh, it's, it's hard sometimes, you know, when I was almost, somebody almost ran me over the other day, and, you know, I, well, this time I was saying the F word. Okay. <laughs> like, do you effing see me, you know? But back in the day, and I mean, even as a non-believer, there have been times when the J word came out of my mouth. But, you know, going back, you know, talking about the language, but not only the language, but the definition of many things. I posted a poem yesterday by D.H. Lawrence, and the title of the poem was Let There Be Light, and I'll go ahead and read it. And it says, if ever there was a beginning, there was no God in it. There was no verb, no voice, no word. There was nothing to say. Let there be light. All that story of Mr. God switching on day is just conceit, just man's conceit. Who made the child? My child, I cannot lie. I made it. And that came from his works of complete poem. And what's interesting there, when the child asked him who made the son, um, S-U-N, he's saying that he made the son, but when he's talking about that, he's talking about the word son. He's not saying that he created the son himself. He's talking about the word son, S-U-N. So that's basically what that means there. But, you know, if we, we when we let go of the God concept, then the language changes. Because words that used to have certain meanings no longer have that same meaning. So we're changing. We're evolving. And it has cultural, you know, impacts. And it's important that we understand that. You know, um, right here I'm going to quote from the book again. It says, but if there is no God, then words could no longer serve their traditional function of incarnating the things they name. In other words, since there is no God... There can be no prediscursive verb, no originary voice, and above all, no godly word to describe the world. I thought that was deep. I thought it was deep, and it's something for us to think about. It's definitely something for us to think about and to kind of get a better grasp of because um, things are changing around us, and they're changing rather quickly. And, you know, again, like I said, I just think that it's important that we understand the impact and the importance of words. And, you know, I want to tie that back to something that, you know, I was talking about last week about how in some cases there are some people that in this community, in the atheist community, that have their issues with those of us that call ourselves black freethinkers or black skeptics or black non-believers or black atheists or what have you, whatever you may call yourself, you know, with the adjective black in front of it. And there are some that, you know, accuse us of being, you know, self-segregated. And, you know, I talked a little bit last week about how some people um, feel as though, 
you know, some white people, not all, but some feel as though we're uncivilized until we assimilate. And we've dealt with some of that in this particular community. And I did a whole show about it, you know, the Uncle Ruckus, Uncle Remus, go back to find that in the in the archives. And it was basically pointing at a video that was made by this gentleman by the name of Dusty. And I'm going to read a quote from the book, and, you know, I want you all to understand why we felt that that was so offensive about him saying that black Christians equals Uncle Tom's. And let me read this part here, you know, because I hit on it a little bit last week, but I'm going to read this part here. It says, and I want you to understand it in the proper context. I'm talking about the people that are, you know, in their own way trying to tell us how we should be non-believers or atheists or free thinkers, how we should assimilate, how we should think, or how they've come in to save the day, basically putting themselves in a savior type of position. Again, it goes back to that illusory superiority that I talked about last week. And for you philosophers out there, that is the Dunning-Kruger effect. So in the book here it says, without the Europeans' humanist civilizing efforts, Inferior peoples would not realize their destiny of becoming fully human. So that goes back to, you know, what I was talking about last week when I was talking about European enlightenment. And I'll read some more of it. And should uncivilized non-humans resist the colonizers' gift of true civilization and humanness, exterminating the brutes becomes a moral and political must. Now, when I talk about that in particular, I'm talking about colonization and um, you know, what we had to deal with as being a part of this country. And I'm going to quote from Godless Americana here. Um, I definitely want to talk about this. Okay, can you turn your radio down? And um, basically, with Dr. Hutchinson, you know, she was talking about the new atheists or the neo-atheists here. And she states, as I've argued previously, racial politics in American apartheid implicitly shaped, quote-unquote, new atheist rhetoric. Unlike socialist, communist movements of the early 20th century in which atheism was an element but not a driving cause, contemporary atheist movement activism is far from radical. Flying the atheist flag for church-state separation in big science poses no inherent challenge to existing class power structures. This partly explains why atheism has achieved mainstream popular appeal amongst the cross-section of American whites, and it stands to reason that class analysis is marginalized, not only because of the myth of a classless America, but because you can't talk class without talking race and racism in a nation obsessed with the myth of the ghetto savage cesspit. And I read those both together so that you all can kind of get a better understanding as to why when you make certain comments like that, because in the video that Dusty made, he basically stated that, you know, that black Christians should be paying reparations to whites because, you know, we saved them. And I'm telling you guys, you know, this is why it's offensive. That is why it's offensive, you know. Kim, but my father told me that in Pennsylvania, I mentioned this on the show before, on this show and on Funny to the Moon, he said if you were in Pennsylvania – and this is before the Civil War. 
if you were if you said you were a Christian, you could be free. But if you weren't a Christian, you had to still stay being a slave. Once right. I heard that, and I wish I would have heard that while I was still a believer, because I wonder what that would have done to my, you know what I mean? I, I, I wonder, you know, how, I mean, I like better that I snapped myself out of it by realizing there was no hell or devil. And I don't right. need to be bothered. You know, I don't need to be safe from a devil because there ain't no devil. Get out of my face. Um, I think it's exactly. that's really simple. But um, exactly. no, you're right. Not only the were part. they told, they, oh yeah, not only were they told if they became Christians they wouldn't be slaves, but they were also told if they fought in a revolutionary war they would be freed as well. And that goes back to and if you fought in World War One, you could ride on the bus. And if you fought in this right. war and that war, on and on, it's all been a trick. There were the um, right. one of the greatest groups in the uh, World War One were the Harlem Hellcats. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes. And yeah, if you, if you look and search yeah. up about the Harlem Hellcats, they had decided mm-hmm. that none of their men would become a prisoner of war. And it was like Private mm-hmm. Johnson or something, Corporal Johnson, and one of the dudes got captured. He had been shot like a couple of times. He went back and got that cat back after being shot. You know, saved him from right. the the captors. This is World War One, the Harlem Hellcats. But anyway, I, right. I don't get, you know, whenever I bring up to black folks in general that the Bible justifies slavery on multiple occasions, it blows their mind. They haven't read that part. They haven't read the book. They just allowed right, some exactly. preacher to hopscotch their ass around the book until they got to the part where he wanted them to give him some money. Did I, did I, did I talk long yeah. enough for them to give me some cash? <laughs> no, I might have a little right. bit longer you today because the, the good oh, part yeah. no, no, you're right. With them, you know, running back and forth between the different scriptures, skipping from New Testament to Old Testament, that's called proof texting. For those of you that don't know what it's called, it's called proof texting. And they do that, and what they do is they string together, you know, a bunch of different scriptures out of context to make a point. And what it basically boils down to is that they want you to either give them money or to submit yourself to their will, you know, and... um you know, the whole thing, like I said, you know, it's interesting, but um, let me see here. I think we have Raina on the line with us. Yay. Raina, are you here? Yes, hey. I'm here. Hi. Yeah, but, um, yeah, no, but, I mean, I just think it's important that, you know, we understand. And, you know, like I said, with um, the comment and that I was making about, you know, the assimilation is, you know, it ties in with what I was talking about last week about how we – we have to find our own voice. We have to our identity. And that's also about our relationship. That's not me. Somebody's in a car, in a tunnel. Um, I'm a space outside, shuttle. actually. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. And it's... Uh, you know, about taking our humanity back. And, you know, it's, it's it's very important that we do that and that we understand that. Um, and it's another part in the book here that I wanted to talk about. talks about how atheism, based, and I'm reading, I'm quoting, atheism unmasks God and truth. 
There is no spiritual epistemology. There are no mystical values, and above all, there is no God. Such thinking is, understandably, forbidden in the world of theology and colonization. And it says here, it is only in the atheist world that we will be able to escape subjugation, a world in which humans will be free to produce a living rhythm predicated on creating and defining themselves. In other words, until we expose the lie of theology, we will never eliminate the wicked idea of human inferiority. I like that. And Why let somebody from the past who didn't have electricity, thought the earth was flat, tell you who you are and what you're supposed to do? They didn't know shit. They didn't know nothing right. compared. I mean, right now, in Raina's head is probably more information than the combined populations of of, of of generations of people from the past, you know, right? I mean, right. Seriously, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's not just quick, me, go back on your yeah. other point. The, the, one reason why it's so tough for us to figure out this this particular uh, mystery. Think about how long black folks had their own church on masses property, where that was really mm-hmm. the meeting. We're talking about uh, before score and, 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 you know, I mean, we're talking about 80, you know, 100 years. And that was, you know, that was your only, the church was your safe spot. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? If you had the right, you know what I mean? That's a rough one. That's a rough one. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's still the same way today. You know, from for quite a few people, the church is the safe spot. You know, you know Christianity is the safe word. You know, if you notice, you know, in, in in a lot of different situations, you know, unfortunately, when you see some of these news stories, you know, you'll see, you know, he was a good Christian boy, and he shot up three, four people and was arrested. And, you know, it, it's cold words. Again, the language. And it's, I don't know, it's just sad. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, that fear. And I feel that the fear of not being a Christian, the fear of not being a part of a community, because, you know, a lot of people feel that there is strength in numbers, and it is. But I believe that fear has been passed down through the generations, and that's what we're dealing with now, you know. Um, fear that has been fear. passed down. Exactly. Man, yeah. generational fear is a beast, right? If mama tells you what to be afraid of, uh, uh, mama's a good person. I gotta believe mama. She told me to be afraid of the devil. I'm looking out. I ain't never seen him, but I gotta, I gotta keep looking for the Lord. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you know, I just think it's important that we understand it and go back and do some research. And again, that telephone number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. And basically, you know, to kind of summarize some of this. Knowledge. Knowledge is human. You know, we determine what knowledge is. This so-called is 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 a human construction. It's a social construct, and it was not created by God. Right. We did this. You were talking about politics. You talk. You know, politics is a mix on this. And what you uh, Ingersoll said: Our fathers founded the first secular government that was ever founded in this world, recollect that. The first secular government, the first government that said every church has the same 
rights and no more. In other words, our fathers were the first men who had the sense, had the genius to know that no church should be allowed to have a sword, that it should be allowed only to exert its moral influence. Robert Green Ingersoll. All right. All right, because right. if the church has a sword, the church will kill unbelievers because the book says to do so. Yeah, yeah. When the church is all the way in charge, they're only they're going to do as much as they can or as much as the people allow them to. If um, it's like the Westboro Baptist Church, if that was the main church of America, they would be running stuff and they would be killing gay people. They would be killing atheists, agnostics, and otherwise unconvinced persons. They would be killing those who didn't kneel before a priest, who laughed at a priest, who didn't come to church every right. Sunday. You didn't come to church, they'd come to your house stringing you up, if they could. Right, right exactly. But, but that's the danger about, you know, religion to a certain degree. There are some people out there that are perfectly reasonable, but they're willing to do unreasonable things because their pastor or the Bible told them to do so. Right. And that's danger behind a lot of that. You know, um you know, you see you've seen all the people that have left Westboro and how they condemn them after they've left. Mhm. You know, and I mean even with, you know, going all the way back to Hitler, and we're probably going to end up doing a show in the future about how certain dictators and fascists um how Christians like to Say that they're atheists, and that's not necessarily true. You got to put it in context. But you know, to quote James Baldwin from The Fire Next Time, he states, "The fact of the Third Reich alone makes obsolete forever any Christian. I mean, any question of Christian superiority." I'll read that right. again. The fact of the Third Reich alone makes obsolete forever any question of Christian superiority. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he got he got awards. He was awarded, you know, by the Catholic Church. He was, you know, recognized as doing good work, you know, all the while, you know, killing, you know, Jews and, you know, what he and others deemed undesirables, you know. It's right. a shame, you know. And and, and furthermore, and furthermore, he was, you know, he, he didn't like, he was no fan of Darwin's. Uh-huh. Um, he, even though a lot of people like to say that he was, he was no fan of Darwin's, and um, and he was a Catholic, and and on and um on the uniforms, on the Nazi uniforms, on the belts rather, you know they had you know God with us in mm-hmm. German, you know exactly, 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 and you know there's you know like I said, this is a fantastic book, guys. You got to pick up both books by Dr. Hutchison and pick this book up by Michael Lackey. But basically, you know, they were comparing Hitler and the atrocities committed on the Jews to America and the atrocities that have been bestowed upon communities of color or minorities. And I thought that was an interesting comparison there. It's not a it's not a hard leap to make though. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not a difficult leap to make. I mean you know Exactly. I mean, you religious know. justifications given in 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 both cases, you know, 
um, mm-hmm. horrendous things being done. I mean, you know, there were there weren't. I mean, even though they were, you know, they were gassing and torturing Jews, there were Jews who were used basically as as servants, you know, as slaves, um, right. you know, to officers and 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 what have you. So it it you know, it's not the exact same conditions, but you know, very similar. I mean, there were you know, blacks who were tortured as well. And I mean, you know, before Hitler, you know, there's also King Leopold and, you know, Leopold did some horrible things. And of course, you know, history has tried to sanitize, you know, Leopold's, uh, you know, reign. Like, you know, some people have tried to sanitize Hitler's reign and some people have tried to sanitize, you know, the, um, you know, uh, American slavery or, or well, r- rather, you know, just slavery in general. I mean, but we know that slavery was a horrific institution, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's the truth. We have a caller from 615. 615, may we ask who's calling? 615? Okay. I'm going to put them back on hold. Um, it's it's the ghost of um of General Bedford Forrest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, and it goes back to you know different fascist philosophies, um, if you will. But the main one here that I'm pointing at is basically um, about the alleged master race. You know. The biologically superior people that have been specifically chosen to government and rule those of us that they deem as inferior, and you know all of that plays into the God concept because again tying it into what we talked about last week about how some people feel as though they have the right the god given right to define others and to categorize people in different categories, you know, not only non-believers, but LGBTQ, you know, women, minorities, you know, disabled, so on and so forth. Um, And it's just as important that we understand the language, the language and how this comes about and understand that, you know, in order to affect some change, we're going to have to take the language and redefine, you know, some of what's out there and expose it. So it's just, you know, interesting how all of this plays about and how this higher authority has ordained certain people to be in power and to hold absolute power over others. And it's just, you know, Tim, it's very true. Mm -hmm. Because if you really want to start pulling threads out, the kind of, uh, like I said, the the there's no hell, there's no devil concept should work on most of them, okay? Um, The other concept is, um, in each one of these churches, is one dude telling everybody else that he's getting messages that the rest of us are not. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, every time. I got a special antenna that connects me to the above that y'all don't have, so you got to come see me every Sunday and bring me some cash. And I'm telling you, as a as a person who cares about people, a humanist, a, a secularist, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call me, I call myself an untricker. Okay, I'm an untricker. Okay, I want to be an untricker. Let's look at a new name for me. I'm gonna get a new name that nobody else has yet. I made it up the other day. I'm an untricker. And mm-hmm. if there was some 
invisible, all-powerful super being that sent me some messages for y'all, I Uh would tell you for free. Right. Exactly. 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 And and that's the whole thing. Again, it goes back to, you know, what we're talking about here, absolute power. Because in a lot of these churches, you know, um, the pastor is the dictator, if you will. And basically uh-huh. he holds absolute power over his congregants. And basically he gets to define what they should love or fear by using the Bible. And, again, going back to that proof texting and to decide in some cases, you know, how they are to live or die. And you know, it's, the whole thing is just is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing to think that I was once a part of that. Well, the pastor couldn't tell me how to live. I didn't give a damn. I used to bring my right. girlfriend to church every day. But, I mean, you know, and, um, right. <laughs> it was it was it was interesting, um, you know, how it all, but they get to define and decide, you know, who and what is right and who you are and define who is human and who is subhuman. Because, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, you know, in the churches that I've attended and visited or what have you and people that I know is when... You know, it's kind of difficult to explain, kind of have to be in this in this situation, but, you know, the pastor manipulates the Bible and manipulates the God concept to subject people to his will, to what he yeah. wants. There have been people that have given up their education, that have given up jobs, that have moved across the country because their pastor told them to do so, yeah. you know, because he heard a word from the Lord, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, many of these people, you know, as they got older, some of them resented it. Some of them just said, well, that was God's will. And that keeps them from questioning, you know, what happened there. But, you know, a lot of this has to be exposed. It has to be exposed. And we need to keep talking about this because, um, you know, it's, it's hurting a lot of people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it doesn't take a whole lot to go ahead to, to manipulate the Bible, you know what I mean, into in, in um, in, in getting people to, you know, follow you or to believe in you anyway because the Bible already sets up this, you know, these narratives about people being chosen and people having, you know, you know pro- the gifts of prophecy or, you know, divine leadership or whatever, you know, I mean, this right. is not a difficult thing to master, you know. But you know what's badly growing, though? I mean, I've been paying attention to it. That these people, you know, they don't, well, not just Christian. I'm not talking about just Christians, you know. These mm-hmm. people don't believe in medicine. And they're, uh-huh. killing, and they're killing the children. Now, you know, have you seen, they, they got a, a, a well, it's been last year, year before last, this year, that they've been arrested for murder because they mm-hmm. don't give medicine to their kids. Man, come on now. Come on. Right. These are your children. These are your children. And, and, and you know, I've been in that situation. I've seen pastors, ministers, you know, tell their congregates, just lay your hands 
on them, or they'll send some people from the church because where two or three are gathered in his name. And, I mean, and, and they give all these justifications as to why not to take the kid to the hospital. And in some cases, the parents are just being cheap because they, they you know, feel as though they don't want a hospital bill. And, yes, it is expensive, but, you know, burying your child is going to cost more than that $100, you know, emergency room bill. You know, um, to quote Richard Wright from Black Boy, it says, this business of saving soul had no ethics. And um, it's just, it's, it's sad. It's, you know, it's very sad and it's hurtful. Um, to quote James Baldwin from The Fire Next Time, he says, I really mean that there was no love in the church. It was a mask for hatred and self-hatred and despair. That's right. And, uh, uh, you're right. Yeah, hey, hey. Uh, one of the lines from an episode of Funny to the Moon was, uh, you know, you might think that gay people are cool, but the church will set you straight. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's basically, you know, what it all boils down to. You know, the church will set you straight. You know, and you know, like they say, it's interesting how God hates everybody you hate. You know, and. You know, the Bible lays a lot of groundwork um, for a lot of the pathology that we see in these in our communities, you know, the pathological and the psychological violence. So um, that's the reason why when we see, when I see certain things, I, you know, in our minds, we'll say that it's a contradiction. You know, if you're religious and you believe in God or this God concept, how can you justify this type of behavior? But then you go and you read that book, you know, whether it's any, you know, holy book, you know, the ones that I've, you know, had the, you know, occasion to read and peruse over, um, a lot of the violence, you know, is justified because it shows them that in that book. And that's the reason why you will hear some religious people say that God's law takes precedent over man's law. Hmm. And that's how they justify some of their behavior. And, you know, again, it's, it's it's kind of like, you know, again, arrested development. It's just interesting, interesting, interesting. Because I remember when I was in church, you know, I questioned quite a bit of it then. And, you know, I was called, you know, you know, devil child. And I was yeah. called a bunch of different names. And because yeah. they couldn't understand why I questioned certain things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, so what you thinking, folks? What you thinking, folks? Right. I'll go back right. to Ingersoll again. Ingersoll <laughs> said, uh, what I would say to them what, is what Ingersoll said. He said, uh, if God didn't want me to think, then why did he give me a thinker? Exactly, exactly. And I'm going to pick you up in a second, but let me read this quote. And this quote is from Emmanuel Kofi Mensah, and it's from his book, Thoughts from Africa's Leading Secular Humanist Activist, right? And the quote goes as, Religion is the brainchild of fear, and fear is the parent of cruelty. The greatest evils inflicted on humankind are are perpetrated not by pleasure seekers, self-seeking opportunists, or those who are merely immoral, but by fervent devotees of religion. So I thought that was interesting. Um, 615, you're on the line. May we ask who's calling? This is Judy. Hey, Judy, how are you? 
so-so. <laughs> I just kind of want to point out that when I was religious, it seemed that everyone in our congregation was willing to kind of out-holy each other. So, like with women, you had to be in, on the field service. You had to make your time. You would subject yourself to whatever your man would do to you. It's just a power play with women because you have no other power there. So right. everyone tries to one-up one everything to their detriment. I even remember at one point I was willing to do exactly what they did in Jamestown if they told me to, and I'd be first in line. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. And Ingersoll you know, said uh, the the priest is the parasite of the woman. Or the parasite of the woman is the priest or preacher. The parasite of the woman is the preacher. And that's what they do. They pit, you know, against each other and they encourage, you know, that type of behavior. You know, you be the first in line and you're you know, that's why when I was talking about the audience, how they went up after Tyler Perry, you know, announced the $1 million donation, how they were acting as though they were the ones receiving the money is because they were trained. Because I remember when they first started doing this, I was in church at the time, and they were saying, even though someone is being blessed, you shout like it's your blessing because your blessing is on the way, which is, you know, again, it goes back into that mindset when we start talking about these prosperity churches and the pathology behind it, some of the thinking and the behavior, they've been trained. They've been trained. And when you start hearing that, you know, you know, from different people, the same message, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of these preachers subscribe to these services that give them their sermons. And that's why sometimes oh, really? you think, yeah, sometimes when you go to different oh, churches, that they're preaching Tim, is that where the anti-gay sermon be coming from? Is that one of those sermons that they got from there? Because I don't remember anybody ever doing that as a kid. And Dick Gregory on some special, he said he doesn't remember anybody doing that as a kid. And he doesn't remember the black church doing that until the white conservative right-wing church did during the Bush years. And exactly. he said that, exactly. he said, that we, he said exactly. I've been in and out of churches every other week for 73 years. And the person gay was always playing the organ or running the choir, and nobody said shit. He's like, he said, he said, Mister Preacher, you just figured out today that that, that nigga was gay. You <laughs> don't like that. Right, see, because he's common. Yeah. The black church, the black church took cues from the white evangelical churches, and that's when they started with the homophobia and you know a lot of issues surrounding that. Is because, and what, you know, especially coming from the Southern Baptist churches, but what they didn't, you know, take into account is the racism behind, you know, especially some of these Southern churches. There's a lot of racism behind it. And that's one of the things that also fuel a lot of these militia and, you know, um, racist groups is that, you know, looking at the statistics, looking at the numbers and just looking at the population, you know, the, the, the white culture, the white population is starting to dwindle. And that's, you know, that's when it tied into the quarterful type of ministry, whereas they're telling people, telling women to have as many children as they possibly can. You know, that that was not meant for black folks. 
That was, no. So, so no. I mean, we have to tie it in and look at the historical context of all of that. But that's correct. The black church took a lot of cues, and they're still taking a lot of cues from white Southern Baptists and white evangelicals. We have 202 on the line. May we ask who's calling? Um, this is uh, Curtis. Hey, Curtis. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys? Hey, good, good, good. So, what I wanted to uh, comment on, you guys are um, spot on in terms of, you know, kind of dissecting the black church and things of that nature and, uh, and black thought, especially with the um, politicization of uh, religion, which kind of started with Benny Hinn. And, um, right. It kind of went on from there. But now there's profitability in um and, and making your church political. As far as the black okay. church is concerned, prosperity theology is kind of our thing. The kind of legislate, the kind of legislating morality is the thing of the white church. That's the thing that right. they've kind of um, been right. after. But it, but if you really look at it, both of those cases aren't really good for anybody. You know what I mean? Nope. Um, you know the black church. Like the thing is, you know, the black church don't pay any taxes. When you're in the hood, you got a whole lot of liquor stores, a whole lot of churches. Don't neither one of them do anything for anybody meaningful in the, in the communities that they serve. You see what I'm saying? So right. there's, there's a lot of issues from from different angles. You know what yeah. I mean? You, you're asking people to t- pay 10% of their salaries, you know, when their children don't have books, <laughs> you know, at the local school. That's insane to me, you know. But, you know, but it's it's like creating a culture of perpetual poverty because yet these churches, and like I said, I've I've talked about this before, if you go to some of these churches and you look at their portfolios, they own vast amount of real estate, and they own the real estate in the same impoverished area where their churches are, so they're not paying taxes, and they're taking away from the tax base. So when you have these people complaining about the schools being dilapidated, children not having books, not getting a proper education, and, you know, not having the same amenities and, you know, um, and, 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 and extracurriculars that these other schools in the suburbs have, you have to look at that church. They are stealing from you. And if they're not taking yep. that money and reinvesting it in the community with jobs, now, some of them do open businesses, but they hire their friends and their family. They don't even hire the people, you know, that are um, um, disadvantaged in their congregation. And the interesting thing is in most of these churches, most of the congregation comes from other communities to that church, and the people in your community are going to churches in other communities. And so, you know, again, they're stealing. And this is why I feel that all 501 C3s, religious, secular, I don't care who you are, all of them should be paying taxes at least at the commercial tax rate. Like the only thing, the yep. only thing that is, I kind of I understand why churches don't pay taxes, and I kind of understand that. But I think the black church and with poverty and things of that nature is a negative uh, consequence of that. But the one thing, though, that I wanted to say in regards to women is that the one creepy thing about the black church their response to, you know, um, the single mother household thing, I think the church is a contributor to it to an extent. And the reason I say that is because you see a lot of single black women in the church who make up a large proportion of any pew in, on any Sunday. Mm-hmm. 
it's almost right. like they're taught to have Jesus as a replacement for a man. And I'm thinking to myself exactly. when I hear these holy and thou women, like, well, Jesus is this, Jesus is that. I'm like, who wants to date somebody like that? That's creepy to me. You know, so you're so using a numinous creature. You know what I'm saying? As a replacement for a man, as a replacement for a husband, and I'm supposed to. Right. I, I think what women, man, I think the church. What man you know, is going to be with a woman? All kinds of nonsensical things, man. What, what, what man is going to be with a woman and be second to Jesus in her heart? Uh, hey, baby, right. uh, can we do it tonight? <laughs> Let me go ask Jesus. It's just crazy. And they tell these women. Wait for a man, uh, and it teaches them to objectify men like they're inanimate objects to be given away for piety. You know what I'm saying? And it leaves them single. Right. Exactly, and and you're right. You know, with, you know, you have these women, and you have men doing the same thing, saying that they're in love right. with Jesus and they're married to Jesus. I, I've heard men and women say that. And the thing is, is that, you know, they set that up as a substitute because, you know, I've had people get mad at me, in particular some religious people, when I've stated that, you know, there are not enough men for all these women to get married. So quit telling them to, you know, that God has their husband right around the corner and they're next in line for a miracle husband. And I said, you know, they're, and I mean, that's just honest to goodness truth. I mean, you just look at raw numbers. And... Basically, and I'm talking about men that are available, you know, men that are that want to be with women and men that are, you know, incarcerated, but that's a whole different story. But, you know, in essence, with some of these pastors, when they start talking to these women and they get them in that mindset, you know, um, Jesus is your boyfriend, Jesus is your husband, wait on Jesus to send you your Boaz or what have you, you know, on the back end, some of these pastors are creeping with those same women. You know, they've been waiting on a husband for the past six years. How do you have Jesus, a two-year-old? That's right. Jesus told me to fill your holes till he gets you somebody. Or until he gets you somebody, I'm going to fill up these holes, girl. But, you know, but the thing about it is, like, the church tends to slow down. Here's the thing. Secular morality and secular institutions always puts a taper on religious uh on religious wackoness, if you will. So as time progressed and as our morals and laws get better, they like to hijack something that wasn't even theirs to begin with, right? As far as you know, dating and black women is concerned, the it has changed. Like with the feminist movement and things of that nature, the same things that applied in the nineteen fifties don't really apply today. Women have to be just as proactive as men in many cases in getting you know, dates and something right. and things that they want. So, if what, so to exactly. tell them that it will fall out of the sky is running against, you know, not only the feminist movement, social economic, it's running against a lot of things that just, you know, puts uh, right. uh, the black community in a bad position. Exactly. It doesn't help. Exactly. I mean, you know, because you know they're being told to wait on God as though, you know, something magical is going to happen. And you're right. And that's why it goes back to something that I was saying earlier about I've known people who have given up their education, that have given up good jobs, that have given up their homes and property because someone, you know, the pastor told them A, B, C, or D. And, you know, and you're right. There are a lot of women that have given up economic opportunities to because of religion, because, you know, and, and in some cases, 
you know, they may have had, you know, finances. They may have had wealth, if you will. But then they they marry, and in some cases, they sign everything over, you know, to the you know the husband. And exactly, I this this is this is what I've seen personally, you know, and I've seen this happen, you know. And I mean, there are more, you know, situations than that. But um, yeah, there are a lot of women that are sitting around and waiting, and we need to stand up and take our agency. We need to stand up and take it back. Go ahead. I was going to say the truth is is that the church is not interested in, in, in feminism. It's not interested in, you know, gender equality. I mean, the, the whole, the, everything that they teach is about, is about, is about reinforcing male power. It, 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 you know, it's not, it's not, the, it's not the power of the pastor or the power of other male authority figures. It's about um, the incorporal, the incorporal male, you know, authority figure of Jesus. Or or God, right. you know, God the Father. That's exactly. what they're about. Exactly, which is why we have some of the issues that we experience. Whereas, because I've seen men that I don't know have no idea come and try to talk to me and claim that they're speaking of God's authority, and then get angry when I reject it. I reject their authority. I reject their words. I just outright reject them. And they Why don't you say so something like, uh, God feel- told me that he's only going to talk to me, and if anybody comes telling me that he says something that it ain't true. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, but what I'm saying, it goes back to that privilege, you know, and in particular, you know, that privilege um, in which, you know, with some men, and I've seen this, you know, and I've seen this in free thinkers as well, male, you know, male humanists, free thinkers, whatever, in which, they feel as though if they're paying some attention to a woman, any woman, that we should feel honored and privileged that they're paying us any attention and that we should allow them to have their love. I am so serious. You're a left man. That has happened. It happens. It happens in the secular community. It happens in the religious community. It just happens because... There's a, there's, that's a, that's a, is that, is that a thing with general, I don't think that's a general male thing. I just think that those people are narcissistic. Because in my it's experience, a general men's, it, it's a general man thing. I mean, look at the way that, uh, that really? look at, look at, it's just a race thing. No, it's, it's, you it's, could be black somewhere, they don't want to talk to your ass. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, because I don't, I, I don't think that I, a woman should be lucky to talk to me because I'm a guy. Normally, I, I mean, think I, that because I'm me. You may not explicitly believe that or whatever, but there there's 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 evidence to the contrary. There's street harassment, there's, you know, rape. I mean, think about all of the transgender women and, and lesbian women who have been harassed on the street and then when it's found out that they're lesbian, you know, oh, um, you know, you just need some good dick in your life. You know, it's just it's it's that kind that of a thing. Cute. That the that that being a man entitles them to women, that it entitles them to uh, to, to women's bodies, and it happens all the time. Right. Exactly. I can see that. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, like I said, you know, we're just tying it all together. Next week will be part three, talking about the politics of the God concept. And I can already tell you, basically, it's going to be talking about um, measuring the value of the God concept. 
So, you know, that should be an interesting conversation. And, and uh, that should be a short show, Kim. Zero. No, I'm just kidding. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> the is done. You need to do that. Skip the part four, Kim. Never underestimate the power of idiots in large groups. No, no, no. I, I'm just saying to us, George I'm zero, but yeah, I mean, it can be, it can be powerful if you if you use it in a particular way. <laughs> right, right, right. right. So, um, gods are untrue to the wise. True to the masses and useful to rulers. I forget who I'm paraphrasing, but that's a quote by somebody. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's a very good one. It's a very good one. So, you know, we're going to be talking about part three. That'll be the end of this series. Then we're going to go back into the Bible series, and we're going to talk about Exodus, the story of Exodus and black Christianity in America. And after that, we'll be doing the shame, shame, shame show, talking about body image policing. We're going to talk about home policing. We're just going to talk about policing, period. Leave people alone. Let let them live their damn lives. Um, After that, we're going to talk about feel better versus do better in religious issues. And so when I talking when I'm talking about feeling better versus doing better, we're going to talk about a little bit about well not a little bit, a lot of bit about religion and how people are taught to feel better, the emotionalism of religion, versus teaching people how to do better, how to live better. And <laughs> You know, just a real interesting concept. Um, don't and, you feel good you know, when I talk like this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but don't do nothing. Keep coming back next Sunday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So it should be an interesting conversation there. Um, next Saturday, Raina, your show, tell them what you're going to be talking about. Um, we're going to be talking about <laughs> a series uh, that's fairly popular in the black community and keeps getting brought up, and I'm kind of tired of hearing about it. Um, it's the series uh, by this uh, this Tariq Nasheed clown um, called Hidden Colors. Um, feature It features uh, Ferris' Cress Welsing, um, Shaharazad Ali, um, among all of these others, Tofu Dashikiists and whatnot. So, um, the, the, those are, I mean, it's to call them documentaries is just an insult to the genre. They're really, they're really just, uh, propaganda films. So. So, yeah. there you go. Next Saturday promises to be an eventful topic. So guys, you know, come on over and take a listen next Saturday at high noon Central Standard Time. For those of you we're still taking abstracts. We're still still taking submissions for the women of color beyond faith anthology. The deadline has been extended to October thirtieth. Um I've posted information. I'll tweet it out and post it again in the middle of this week. And Dr. Hutchinson would love to hear from you. So, again, you know, I just want to make sure you understand my points of references today. I talked a little bit about moral combat, a little bit about Godless Americana, both written by Dr. Hutchinson. But the main point of reference for this three-part series is African-American Atheist and Political Liberation, a study of the sociocultural dynamics of Michael Lackey. This is an excellent, excellent book. And I'm going to end this show with a quote from Jay Saunders Redding from his On Being Negro in America book. And it says, I would emphasize the relation of man to man 
rather than the relation of man to God. I will substitute the authority of Christ's insight for the authority of all ecclesiastical dogma. I would blaze it across the earth. Love ye one another. And on that note, we're out. You all have a lovely, lovely weekend. I appreciate you. I'll see you all next Sunday. And this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Guys, have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody, for calling in. Take care. Have a good one, y'all. As a new.